Welcome back to the Lauren Valor Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Watson, and joining me today are my friends and fellow authors, Josh Hayes, a veteran law enforcement officer and veteran of the United States Air Force, uh, and Sean Patrick Hazlitt, a veteran of the 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment, and probably more perilously of the financial world. Uh, both are accomplished authors, and Sean is a uh, very accomplished editor of short story anthologies uh, with his Weird World War series out from Bain recently. Um, we'll talk more about that towards the end of the show. Thanks for joining me, guys. It's uh, great to have you back. Thanks yeah, for having, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this episode is a long time coming. So we had a great time uh, talking about the first half of Love, Death, and Robots season three uh, when we were on last time. Uh, Sean couldn't quite make it to the five minute mark before he dropped an F bomb, but that was all the better for the humor value. Um, is that? I just saw. I just saw like a timer appear on Josh Hayes's. Is that like a countdown to when I like lose my? Yeah, lose, lose your cool and say you want to pop it off your mouth and and, and 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 yell profanity. I, I've I actually be been on. To, I don't think there's anything that like had quite the negative visceral reaction this time around. So I think I'll be okay. I hope. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, like spoilers, but I think we'll agree with that. We'll um, we'll um, well, we'll go ahead and dive into it then. So. We've got two, four, five episodes to cover, um, and I think they're all at least worth watching. I think some of them are clearly stronger than others, but we're starting out with uh, Kill Team Kill, right? Uh, which is the story of a special operations team, like just to summarize it in the line, a special uh, special operations team in Afghanistan coming across a cybernetically enhanced bear uh, and the hijinks that ensued. My tagline for this, and I'll, I'll let you guys chime in after I just throw this one out there, is I watched this with my wife and I looked over and I said, if five of my E4s specialists in the army had a bag of cocaine and a weekend to write a script, I think this is what they do. For sure. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. So Josh, why don't you go ahead and lead us off with, uh, you you know, when the episode starts and the very first thing you see, well, you could go and see it, but I knew that the, it was, it was like what you said. Somebody was, extremely high when they wrote this thing (laughs) and just wanted to pack it with just put tons and tons of ridiculousness um i you know i really enjoyed it it was um obviously i i uh, going up against a a a crazy robot bear is uh nowhere (laughs) near realistic and the 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 uh the special operations team is like no other team that i've met um but i i liked the the juxtaposition of the extreme tropish humor, dark gallows humor that you would have, and mm-hmm. just the extreme violence of all of their interactions with this bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I really liked the the humor was really on point. Like they 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 found their their timing was really good, even though it was ridiculous. Um, the characters, my favorite character was, uh, I think it was Mason was his name. Uh, and he was my favorite. Um, uh, anyway, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was extreme. It was ridiculous, but I think that was the whole point. Um, and, uh, like I said, before we started recording my, my first thought when the bear popped up was, uh, the dark tower and Shardik. And, and if, a a special forces team instead of Roland had gone after it. This is probably what would have happened. It was really enjoyable. I thought. <laughs> yeah, definitely worth a chuckle. Uh, yeah, Sean, sure. what did you think of this one? So I think your description of 
for specialists uh, ingesting a bag of cocaine is is spot on. Though I'm de quietly debating in my mind if it was cocaine or if it was like shrooms, because the problem with specialists on cocaine is they would likely not be able to hole up in a hotel room unless they could find some strippers to marry and, and also some uh you know some cars to buy at 20 percent uh, oh for sure interest. yeah Sean, Sean, um, the dealer was a retired sergeant major he gave me a special deal I yeah yeah know. he wouldn't have let yeah, me I, wrong yeah he yeah by like there's a reason they call them specialists <laughs> right so uh, yeah i, I Look, I thought I don't know about enjoy. It was just kind of like pure mayhem. Uh, it was the the plot was, you know, pretty cut and dry. <laughs> not like not for me too intellectually stimulating, but it was funny. Yeah, you know, it was funny. Um, but I think if I like any of us wrote a story like that, we wouldn't sell it. No. Right. Yeah. Right. No. Well, I think so. out of out of all the other like a lot of the episodes are really depressing and violent. And this one was really funny and violent. And I thought that that was it kind of set it apart from the other ones in that fashion. Yeah, it's a bit of a palate cleanser. Right. Um, yeah. But it comes yeah. right after Night of the Mini Dead, which was also goofy. So true. Very true. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of two in a row of like yeah. this this crazy crack induced maybe it was crack no i yeah. I, I don't know I, I think i think they were doing both shrooms to kind of keep <laughs> them in the room right because they were on cocaine they would be marrying strippers but if you give them like a dose of shrooms like it's a crazy world out there i don't know what there's eyes like popping out of the wall which by the way for full disclosure i've never used shrooms um, or cocaine. um yeah. i'd like to try sometime i don't know about cocaine but like psychedelics i'd like to try sometime but i have not i have not partaken and uh we do not encourage that on this podcast because we do not want to demonetize uh right or prevent yeah. from monetization justin watson yeah uh we're not monetized yet so go ahead and make all the drug references you want however comma <laughs> uh, i also do not encourage the uh recreational consumption of narcotics however i will say i learned recently that um uh, psychedelic treatment uh, is apparently a growing thing for severe cases of PTSD. I was listening to a podcast with a, a special forces guy, um, another West Pointer, apropos of nothing, uh, who is does that for treatment. And he says, you know, once a quarter he'll go in and in his own words, he'll trip balls in a controlled environment. And then that helps. What is, he, what, what is it? Is mushrooms or ayahuasca? Or... I was just going to say ayahuasca. I've it's... heard about that. Uh, people I, going I down there. And I think they're actually extracted from mushrooms. Whatever, whatever he's taking, it's not just it's like psilocybin. Yeah. Yes, there you go. That's the word. I've yeah. actually, uh, in my time on the police department, I destroyed, well, helped to clean up mm -hmm. uh, two psilocybin processing houses, which is very interesting. I spent eighteen hours in a chem suit with bottles of oxygen. Yeah, like my, my understanding is like like psychedelics. I mean, LSD is probably not one you'd want to encourage people to use but right I, I heard the other two are actually not too threatening i mean they're on they're like i think they're considered worse than like cocaine and meth uh from like the the way that they're on the drug schedule or whatever it's called but uh i, I think they're probably less harmful than like even marijuana Another but I don't thing, know. I'm not. I wasn't a police officer. I don't. I don't know. Like, did you have any situations where it caught, like use of the psychedelics caused never issues? 
Never. Uh, I mean, you get guys that are up on uppers and, and stems and whatever, but uh, it, it's a very mushrooms and even marijuana to a point, but it's, it's a very closed personal thing. You know, you, you don't really see a whole bunch of violent offenders on shrooms or mushrooms most of the time the most effective violent offender no most of the time they're all drunk and that's that's yeah. what's crazy about like i don't want to go on a tangent but that's what's crazy about the drug schedule and and marijuana look it's not my show if this were my show we'd be on this tangent yeah for like yeah five minutes. tangents but are part of the brand i'm okay way, with it. way more problems with alcohol than with marijuana or mushrooms combined what in about my meth? experience what, what about meth is meth? horrible meth is horrible i've actually i went to um I went to the DEA school for clan lab destruction and we made meth uh, there in class because we had to know the parts and all that stuff. And part of the class was doing an, what they call a one pot. And the stuff that they put in meth is so ridiculous. Like I can't even understand how they got like whoever was sitting in the thing going, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to take these battery things and do I'm like, absolutely crazy. I, I don't understand why people put that shit in their bodies. Sorry. I heard. The fact that they're willing to kind of illustrates in my opinion, the, uh, the kind of hopelessness of prohibition as a concept for sure for substances. Um, uh, that being said, I did uh, in research for my current book I'm writing, which is set in the Mexican drug war. There are reports, uh, credible but not verified, you know. And I'm not, I have no security clearance, so this is all open source uh, anymore. I don't have a security clearance anymore. Uh, this is all open source. That apparently uh, the meth and the fentanyl and everything that's getting made in Mexico at this point to replace the uh, the falling cocaine trade mm -hmm. in America. Because hey, actually, turns out we're we're doing less coke. We're doing more fentanyl and crystal meth. 100%. Uh, and apparently there's substantial rumors that China is helping supply precursors. Yeah. Fentanyl. Cartels. Yeah. There's actually, there's actually uh, legitimate businesses in China by mm -hmm. day that mm -hmm. are le completely legitimate. And by night they ship and package and mail fentanyl through the uh, international postal system. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it feels like it's like a, a reversal of history because they had a huge problem with the British, right? With the and we will trade. sell opium to your people. Yeah. 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 So it's um, and fentanyl, by the way, is I don't even understand how. I think people tend to use it accidentally. Oh, for sure. Because that stuff's like far worse than yeah. than heroin in terms of or cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like like fentanyl is more of a downer, right? Like yeah, a, yeah. It's a narcotic. It's a very powerful narcotic, and it's it's cut with stuff and the, the problem is the people doing the cutting don't most of the time understand what they're doing and so they'll overcut it uh, because really all you need i mean the science is a science but you don't need that much fentanyl to affect what you're doing like if you're putting fentanyl in in drugs or even lacing the marijuana with fentanyl, you need absolutely minute amount and and people think it's like cocaine and they like drag a line on there and that's how people start getting hurt is because you need like a salt speck of fentanyl will do you but like why do people because the other thing too is if you use it once you can never get back to that initial high and you're just like it changes your brain chemistry is my understanding it's so that once and you, that like, and meth you both the same thing. yeah well and there's been there's been people who have uh tried meth um and couldn't ever get off of it and like with the first 
for I mean, I, I, I not personally, but I, I know of a story of a, a cop that accidentally ingested it. Um, and it messed her up so bad that she became an addict and obviously lost her job and all family and all that stuff. But it's, it's really scary stuff. Meth and, and fentanyl are extremely dangerous. So I am going to, I am going to can of worms this a little bit before we okay. start, <laughs> we're talking about, uh, the opioid crisis and yes. the, the boost in illegal narcotics, thanks to our opioid crisis, uh, and all those linkages. But I did find that interesting. Um, Totally worth the tangent, but I do think we have to yeah, absolutely steer, steer back onto the road for a little bit. We can do a whole other show on that. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We yeah. That was like my second, my second New Year's in the Army. I had to, I got a call from a district attorney in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Was it Omaha? No, it was, it was somewhere in Oklahoma. Um, mm-hmm. A district attorney saying that we picked up one of your uh, troops soldiers who was trafficking methamphetamine. Nice. So I just talked to Jag, and I'm like, uh, "What do I do here?" It's like, well, basically. We would just put them through a DAPSI, which is like this, a like a drug alcohol program. The addiction program, yeah. And 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 you would have to pick him up at your own expense to bring him yeah. back. And I'm like, nice. well, he was. So I just told the district attorney, like, ah, we basically won't do anything. You should keep him. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he's selling drugs to people. Like, sorry, yeah. like I have no, no, you know, I was 23 years old, but I knew enough that like you should stay there. Like, For sure. Yeah, as opposed to Second Lieutenant Watson, who's two of my idiots got caught coming across the Dutch-German border with uh, shrooms, Ugh. and I had to drive my happy ass to go get them. Nice. <laughs> that, they, that's like, less bad, though. That, that's less yeah, bad. That, that was, they, yeah. they, they did not have a pleasant car ride. Yeah. Back, back to Germany. Uh, anyway, anyway, so yeah. uh, on to something only slightly less depressing. The right. second episode is Swarm, which uh, stars uh, Rosaria Dawson as one of the voices and likenesses of this show. And I should say this show does actually have quite a few, uh, you know, reasonably big name actors that have participated in over the years. Uh, I have to say this one felt like a bit of a waste to me. So I feel like this one was really trying to encompass the, you know, the hubris story wherein humans in our exploration, you know, there's the positive side that shows, you know, the, the Star Trek view of exploration where it's a good thing. We're out there learning things. And even if there are dangers, we overcome them. And this one seems to me to be saying, you know, Hey, when you go poking at things, sometimes they might bite you and maybe it wasn't worth it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Josh, what are your, th- or actually Josh, you started last time, Sean. Um, I know you kind of had a hard time when we were doing the pregame. You were like, wait, what happened in this one again? So uh, in the vague recesses of memory, what, what might, what did stand out about this episode to you, if anything? Um, I, I liked it. I, I thought it was the premise. And, and this is something you said, uh, Justin, before the, the episode that I think really resonated with me. Like this, this kind of punctuated equilibria in reverse concept, right? We're, we're adaptive punctuation, punctuated equilibria. Um, which that those are my terms because they sound fancy, but uh, <laughs> we're talking about but the idea. Awesome. The idea is all Justin's, which is <laughs> which is this ability to flex your evolutionary cycle as a species. So when a threat from another species is you know there is no threat from another species and it's benign, then you effectively devolve. You become less advanced. But if you perceive a threat from a, another species, you can rapidly evolve into something that can potentially wipe out that other species. And I thought it was a good, 
you know, juxtaposition of using science both to learn and to become better, but also the weaponization of science. And, you know, I don't think either is, you know, necessarily wrong, but, you know, the weaponization side has consequences. Mm -hmm. And I think this, you know, and, and while that is more of a, you know, I put that on kind of more of a liberal, I wouldn't say progressive, but I would say more of a liberal worldview. It's one of the aspects of a, of a liberal worldview that is a reasonable one, right? It It is it is an inherent risk. And when you have kind of a, you kind of need conservatives, you need liberals to, uh, you know, you need conservatives to, to keep you protected from threats and you need liberals to kind of push society forward and consider new ideas and things like that. And I think this one was handled that really well without being like over the top preaching. Right. right? Yeah. Like it, it, it's like the, uh, it, it, it achieved kind of the same thing that the, uh, what was the, what was that episode that I hated earlier? Exit strategies did, with the robots. Yeah, that, caused, that caused me to curse. <laughs> like, like that that presented a, a liberal worldview in a far more nuanced and persuasive manner, mm. uh, and and it should be like you know I and and look look I I don't necessarily agree with it, but it made me think, and that's that's the kind of writing that I think is missing in in Hollywood. It's more like exit strategies where they just you know everything's a, a it's like a straw all man. it's right. all self congratulatory. Yeah. 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 It's all, it's yeah. All yeah. And, and when in fact it convinces you the of the opposite worldview because it's so it's so like mm -hmm. off the wall. Well, this one I thought was more thoughtful. Yeah. Josh. Um, I thought this story, um, as far as the writing goes, was one of the the better ones. Uh, I um the because this one they did a really good job foreshadowing the ending like right at the beginning and mm -hmm. she's talking about how there's lots of different races and they're all kind of combining to do different things. And she mentions even at the very beginning when he arrives, the kind of symbiosis that's happening with some of the creatures there. And that obviously points to what she becomes at the end. And yeah. uh, I, I agree that it was kind of like a, a really in like a really direct change from where you thought the episode was going to where it ended up. And there wasn't that part of it was not foreshadowed. I think enough um, just to make it so it's not as jarring as a turn. Um, but I, I thought that the, the interactions between them and the creatures and learning different things and, and um, the, well, you, you've already said it, the, the, the dangers of, of uh, progressive uh, scientific research and doing different things. And I mean, you know, they mentioned slavery and stuff like that. And that's how they were going to take the bugs and do different things with them. And obviously they didn't want that to happen. And, and so there's again, there's cautionary tale there. But um, it, it wasn't my favorite. Uh, I, the the art was fantastic. I mean, the 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 creatures and even the setting were very unique and well done. And um, you could tell the, the creators put a lot of thought and effort into that. And I think all the, most all of the, ep the 
episodes of the season were really well visually creative. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I can't point at a visual style that I think was without merit, except maybe Night of the Mini Dead, but even that was fine. Right. Um, right. Uh, I would say what's interesting to me about Swarm and its place in here is you have Night of the Mini Dead, which is ludicrous and basically doesn't really have a plot. I mean, it does, but there's no character right. to latch on right. Kill Team Kill, which has characters to latch onto, but they are so clearly caricatures, like very far over the top caricatures. And right. then you come to this one, which is played straight, like dead level. This is a, you know, like these these are very serious characters doing very serious things with very serious motivations. Yep. Um, and I think I think it's a valid thing to do because I'm I'm looking at these shorts. Many of them are based on short stories. Some of them are original scripts, and looking at them as visual science fiction short stories, I find Swarm, and again, it's not invalid to do this, Swarm is that short story, which is really just the stealth beginning of a novel. Yeah. You know, like Swarm leaves off and it's like, yes, that was a whole story, but only kind of sort of. Yeah, you it's know, more of a like, setup than, yeah. Yeah, that is a setup for an entire space opera saga. I'm not saying that's wrong, um, but I feel like it takes more skill to do something like um, uh, Bad Traveling, right? Which has, yeah. you know, I'm a, that's my darling of the season. I really love Bad Traveling, but it has its beginning, middle, and end. And yeah, you could see more stories in that universe, but it's not the setup for another story. It is encapsulated. This feels very much like, okay, you set up this conflict between this individual and the alien that has him in that has him captured and ultimately between this alien species we provoked and humanity. So you should really keep going. Right. Um, you, you didn't, and maybe they will. And that's great. Um, so again, I don't know if that's a valid criticism as much as it is personal taste that I find it. Um, and I've probably done it myself with my own short fiction, so I shouldn't be too judgmental. Um, but I, I do find it like it is a much different tone than I think everything else on this list, because everything else on this list is pretty encapsulated um, at this point. So, yeah, I, I'd agree with that, too. Uh, it felt like a prologue to to something to something. more. It's just so hard, especially with um, short stories, and even short, short films to really tell a well drawn out story um, in such a condensed space and time. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, not. I don't think it's bad. I right. just think everyone else uh, played it more. You know, beginning, middle, end. I'm done. You yeah. Know? Um, so anyway, speaking of which, we're we're coming up to. So we had uh, ludicrous, ludicrous, but with more of a conventional story structure, playing it straight with yeah. a very serious story structure, and then we're back to kind of ludicrous, but also much more dark. Yes, um, I think this one's much more dark than Kill Team Kill, actually, with Mason's Rats, um, which this one amuses me and I like it okay, but I feel like it was rushed. Basic premise is you have uh, high-tech future vermin-killing technology versus evolved rats that are sentient, um, and a farmer trying to get rid of the rats, and they eventually learn to respect one another, and the farmer and the rats unite against this the super powered uh, vermin killing technology that he bought to get rid of them. Um, and I don't think 
for a for a story that's supposed to be absurd, I don't think that's a bad premise. I just feel like it was rushed. Uh, what about you guys? Uh, well, it, I can't remember if I said this on the first show or not. Uh, Neil Asher wrote the the short story "Amazing Rats," but it was actually three short stories, and uh, and that I've talked, yeah, I, I've talked to him about it, and um, and I mentioned this to him too that the the switch at the end from mortal enemy to okay, let's get along and sing kumbaya was so drastic um, that it. Of course, it it wasn't realistic, but it didn't didn't fit with the the characters that they had, and it was um, uh, apparently that was explained in one of the short stories how they kind of mended and and stuff like that. Of course, they had didn't have the time to to put all that together. Um, I, I thought you know it was it was funny uh, at the same time. Um, uh, why not just burn the barn down? Like if you really <laughs> want to get rid of them, you know what I mean? Like if they're that big of a problem, yeah. uh, it, it was funny. I liked the escalation of, you know, uh, of the technology that's getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and the, it's almost the, like a gory Bugs Bunny versus or Wiley Coyote versus Roadrunner cartoon. 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't my favorite. Uh, it was enjoyable. Um, uh and again the art was fantastic uh, uh, um i really liked the way that when the rats came out and they were dressed up as warriors and stuff and i'm like okay that's kind of cool but <laughs> yeah i i agree with josh in the sense that the change like the come to jesus moment for mason was not credible at all mm. like right it, uh, and it sounds like it was you know he took a good story and then stamped hollywood on it right it probably it yeah. felt like a game like game of thrones in miniature right where you <laughs> where you try to where you try to rush the ending and then it just characters do things because i thought the characterization was rather strong until mason just you know completely not not only mason like he he his change was a little bit more believable than the rats like it was just like imagine if you were fighting, you know, if you were. Well, this is actually I'm not gonna I'm not gonna touch that one. Um, <laughs> like let's imagine if you're an intellectual and Pol Pot has wiped out your family. Yeah. And then Pol Pot's like, hey, let's you know let's 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 band together against the latest killing machine. Like you might, you might band together, but as soon as that killing machine is gone, you're going to slit Pol Pot in his sleep. Sure. You yeah. slit his neck in his sleep. Like yep. it, it just was not credible from the, the rat side. Like it was, and it was also, you know, like I don't mind seeing like humans butchered, but like seeing animals butchered bothers me a little bit. Okay. Um, even rats, even rats. Right. I mean, that's a messed up thing to say, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like <laughs> it was kind of funny but not funny yeah so this one was not i didn't have as much of a negative reaction to this as i did to exit strategies but bottom I tier would say, yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's hard i would say i would say pretty neutral because it was um there are elements of it that were i thought well written but just yeah. rushed and not credible at the end and a little bit too much gratuitous, like um, gratuitous splatter porn, basically. I can see that. You can definitely see that. Um, yeah, I, 
I, I don't strongly disagree with either of your view about Mason's rats. I, I, the other thing I would say is that like whenever we have a story like this with sentient beasties evolving on earth, apparently I'm always like the cynical part of me is like, we, we just won't allow that to happen because we can't. Right. You know, like if another species on our planet begins to show signs of sentience, we're going to stamp that species out. If it has tool use as well, it's fine if the dolphins actually turn out to be as smart as us because they don't have fucking opposable thumbs. They're not. They might be smarter. They might be smarter. Potentially, but it doesn't matter because they can't actually physically build things to to challenge us. So it's fine. Um, Maybe we'll employ them as pilots someday in our spaceships because they think in three dimensions easier than we do and more intuitively. Who knows? Um, uh, I read that concept first. I know that, that he wasn't the first one to use it, but Robert J. Sawyer in a uh, uh, four-part series, an analog called Starplex, had the Earth two sentient species were dolphin and human, and dolphins were always the better pilots uh, because they're used to moving in three dimensions. Um, more oh, frequently. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty interesting story. Um, so anyway, yeah, Mason's Rats, maybe kind of a base hit, kind of a bunt, if you want to use a sports ball metaphor. Um, mm. But then we get to what I think is kind of the darling of the second half of season three, which is invaulted halls entombed. Um, I love this one. Yeah, this one's good. This one's good. Um, I can nitpick stuff, but overall I really enjoyed it. Uh, has a, quite a few things going for it. Um, this follows a MARSOC, so Marine Special Operations team in Afghanistan. And it starts out as a straight, uh, looks like a, a search and rescue mission. They're trying to get, looks like maybe some pilots or somebody back from the Taliban. Uh, falling him to a cavern complex again all completely feasible at this point uh, and while I was clear I was a soldier not a marine and I was never special operations I was a very conventional dude uh, medium speed some drag right here um, and but looking at their kit and the way they conducted themselves I was like oh yeah that looks pretty good actually everything you got there stuff I saw in Afghanistan everything you're doing makes sense to me none of it is incredibly stupid uh, except for yeah, no, actually they even they even get closed off in the cave complex. There's not a there's not a point at which they can very easy easily and honorably disengage. Because yeah. very frequently that's that's the mistake, right? Is the hero has the chance to honorably disengage from the situation and doesn't. Um it also has uh, Joe Manganello is the 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 lead likeness and voice actor for the squad leader. I'm a big fan of Joe Manganello. We're both so, is that the D and D guy? Yeah, the D guy. Um uh, he's a big Dragonlance fan, and Dragonlance is my favorite fantasy series from the 80s. Um, so he's he's friends with Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, who are two authors I list, uh, along with Robert A. Heinlein and others who made me want to write. Um, so uh, yeah, I got a lot of warm and fuzzies towards that guy because he's, he's super fun. Uh, he's a fun personality. So overall, this had a lot going for it. I found it very interesting from both a military perspective. Uh, and I, I was confessing to Josh before the show, I'm not... I respect Cthulhu mythos and Elder God stuff. Um, I'm not a devotee of it. You know, right. like, I've read Lovecraft. I haven't reread Lovecraft the way I've reread Asimov, Clark, Heinlein, uh, Tolkien, so on and so forth. Um, so this one caught my attention and really entertained me from start to finish. Um, Josh, I think you let off. Sean, why don't you talk about this one first? Yeah, I, look, I thought I thought it was a good one. The only knock I have on it is the escalations seemed ridiculous. Like, oh, it's a big monster that's like nearly impossible to defeat. Oh, here's a here's a bigger monster that's even more impossible to defeat. 
like after the like even at the first monster there was no way they would survive the first monster if there was more of it right mm -hmm. and like it kept escalating into even more impossible monsters like i didn't like that aspect of it but the the lovecraftian feel i loved and i love the ending mm. like that that is a i wouldn't say a classic lovecraftian ending it was kind of a cousin to a classic love lovecraftian ending where the person you know just sees some unspeakable horror uh and then mm -hmm. goes goes insane yeah. right starts muttering gibberish right yeah because this marsoc this team was, has a, was she a medic or a member of a female engagement team i can't remember uh i got throughout a context that she was a medic she but, was the medic that was, yeah, that was yeah. attached to the team and she has to you know spoilers obviously for all this stuff it's it's 15 minutes long so <laughs> you know you can't really expect us to right. talk without talking about the the last seven and a half minutes of it right um but you know they encounter this elder god in this cavern in afghanistan and it fully compromises the squad leader the medic has to kill the squad leader to avoid releasing the elder god and you end up with like you said sean that that crazy creepy final sequence with her walking off into the rock pile with her art with her eyes carved out uh, muttering in an alien language like yeah it was really crazy spoiler alert that's those are like the kind of endings that i like to write <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, in fact like my winner and writers of the future i'm surprised they they published it because they that that it was like placed because they tend to like more uh like positive yeah mine was probably one of the most like negative endings that i mean it was a positive ending sort of right so like the child's soul was not was not uh heated alive inside a burning statue um <laughs> The, the protagonist had soul had, had soul displacements. <laughs> so to save the child from suffering, the child's body burned, but the child's soul did not. Uh, the protagonist did, but that was my happy ending. I don't ever want to read a bad ending from you. Yeah, it's, called, it's called wow. it's called a drama lack. It's called a drama lack. So uh, yeah, it's okay. uh, it's pretty dark. <laughs> Sounds like it, uh, Josh. We haven't given you a chance to. Uh to talk about this one what'd you think uh, i like this one um it there was a lot of things i thought that they did right like i i, I know nothing about cthulhu lore um i've never read lovecraft um the closest i am to cthulhu lore is how they rolled uh, those kind of gods into warcraft lore and so that's that's where i get that uh background for me but uh i love absolutely love the detail in uh, the little things in this uh, episode, um, the the black rifle coffee patch on his white <laughs> carrier. Um, oh, I totally missed that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. the it's the skeleton with the spear and the heart. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it, the even I mean their gear is what they would carry. I mean even to the 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 radio strip in the back of the. Uh, the plate carrier was there the the antenna or whatever um uh, i thought that their their dialogue was on point um it it felt very realistic um the when they're they're moving and they're covering they're giving really good commands and um uh notifications she slaps the bolt with the heel of her hand when she reloads and mm -hmm. uh, i thought that release yeah 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 sorry yeah. Uh, no, i know what you mean like i'm just being uh, as clear as possible for the viewers yeah. 
Um, so it's, it, I, I absolutely really enjoyed that part of the episode. Um, the only thing that I found unrealistic about the whole thing is that they're running away from like 10,000 little spiders and they're just shooting at them. I'm like, you're not hitting, you, you don't, first of all, you're probably not hitting them. Second of all, you have not enough ammunition for this. Get the hell out of there. Just yeah. go, just, just turn run. around and run. Them. Yes. Right, because the point of shooting at somebody while you're running away is mostly to suppress them and slow them down. One hundred percent. Hitting them is great. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like if you can actually kill them, awesome. But you're not suppressing the alien crabs with your thirty round magazine. So yeah, you're you're spot on, Josh. But 100%. then again, like I could I could justify that as they're just falling back on learned behavior. For sure, absolutely. You know, like, yeah, you know, muscle memory. In like, right. combat, you resort to your training. So yeah. I, absolutely, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't hate it. I just was like, just turn around and go. Just run. What are you doing? And if um, you were, you would hope that if you were the leader in that situation, you would have the presence of mind to be like, hey, what we normally do doesn't work. 100%. Everybody fucking sprint. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought that the um, the underground temple, if you want to call it that, or prison, whatever it is, I thought that was really cool looking. Um, uh, yeah. I, I thought that this the scenery was very like even to those statues that were around it very gothic and and very mm-hmm. um, evil feeling. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Cthulhu monster was terrifying in my opinion. Uh, even the the flashes that they get of whatever it is uh, hell or some kind of uh, place uh, that was really it gave me uh, when she walked out of the cave with no eyes that whole section there uh, at the end gave me really big event horizon flashbacks um mm-hmm. and uh so i i like this one i mean it it does leave it's it's got an ambiguous ending um because mm-hmm. you don't you don't really know whether she released him or not i mean that's what you pull from it and she pulled her eyes out so she couldn't have that connection and you still are here to release me but you don't know and uh i i like that kind of and i mean there's closure to it but the ambiguity of it is is very cool and i like that those kind of endings of short stories those kind of endings and novels don't work but as a short project something like this where you're just like oh that was interesting i wonder if uh, i really enjoyed that agreed agreed um so then we close in on the last episode of the season which this one might be a little divisive, uh, Jabaro, which is a fantastical tale, what looks like Conquistador-inspired knights exploring and um, finding a a very interesting gold-laden siren uh, figure um, and who's able to... uh, Yeah, I I don't know if I just wanted to, to describe it, but it's very visually interesting hmm. uh, I want to say I feel like this one because uh, part of the interplay is the 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 knight who is the protagonist is deaf and is so they're therefore somewhat immune to her powers so a lot of this is portrayed with no sound right and it's all right. visuals um, or the sounds very muted and then it'll go very loud and then so I am um, I was describing uh, this before again in the pregame this is to me the most art house of all the episodes, you know? And while that's not always my thing, I did find it very interesting um, that it was like a no dialogue, all the character expression, all the characters expressed by 
facial expression, body language, and nonverbals. I, I found that a very interesting way to tell this story. This was, I, I don't know if I'd say my least favorite, but it was definitely in the in the bottom of mm-hmm. my uh, picks. Um, I didn't really like the. I mean, it was obviously live action as far as I could tell, but with a, a weird filter on it, and that I don't, visually was not interesting to me. I, I just no. I I wanted them to make a. If you're gonna animate it, animate it. If you're gonna live, do it live. Do it live. And I was really stuck, kind of in between, going. Ah, I, I think it's still animated. I just th- think they chose a hyper realistic style, right? Am it, I wrong? It could be. It looked live. It. it to me, it looked live action with a filter. I, I could be wrong. I have absolutely no idea. But mm-hmm. uh, that's the way it looked to me. And so that that's, uh, I don't know. Um, it was, like you said, it was very artsy. Um, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't have a, a whole lot to say because I could rant and grumble you, about it. But uh, You can grumble about it. Like, we don't have to agree. You're free to trash it. It's fine. I, I don't want to <laughs> trash it. But I... I, I I didn't find it appealing. I was not okay. interested uh, in what was going on. There was not really, of course, you don't get a lot of context for any of these stories, really. But there's no context of, you know, what they're doing or why the sirens there or anything like that. It's just bam, she's there, she kills everybody. Uh, and I was like, all right. Uh, and I guess you could say the same about Kill Team Kill, but I, I thought that the the ridiculousness of Kill Team Kill kind of set it apart from needing that kind of context and it felt like this was trying to present like a more kind of grounded um project i don't know maybe i'm just maybe i'm just uh rambling on but uh yeah definitely not one of my favorites okay sean yeah so the fact that josh you think it's live action and justin you think it's ultra real animation is like there was something I couldn't is indicative and and there was something I couldn't quite put my finger on until you both said that. And that is, I had the same sense of like unease uh, about it that Josh did. And I couldn't quite figure it out, but your debate answered why. And it's called the uncanny Valley. Yep. Like this was the uncanny Valley episode. Like it was hyper real, but not real enough. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it, but it didn't like unsettle. It just, it just didn't, it, it just felt, it just felt weird to me. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to engage in the rest of the, the episode. And if I step back, I think it's definitely an art house style and they were definitely trying to tell the story without sound, but then use sound during particular periods don't ask me why, because I'd have right. to watch and analyze it several times. But I'm sure there's some symbol, symbolic reason why it, you know, the sound comes in and then it goes away. But if you take out all that, like visual and um, audio, like audio, like art house, like those art house elements, there's really no story to it. Right? Yeah, there's no history there's no background it's just this guy comes in his team is slaughtered he only survives because he's deaf and then it's a predator prey story uh although there might be some like love With story overtones. Yeah. right exactly yeah which uh, so that doesn't yeah. 
that also confused things too. And it's also and look, I'm not I'm not exactly like a literary snob, right? I'm gonna miss <laughs> I'm gonna miss like 90% of like the subtlety of this. So I'm sure if you're like really into like Jane Austen, like you would totally understand the story. But I, if you're I not remember Jane Austen having her lovers uh, accidentally or purposely cut each other to pieces with uh, the coins that make up their, their garment slash skin. So it's a, a little beyond Jane Austen. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, that whole like relationship, this and that, like torturing each other in subtle ways. Like I, I don't, so I don't get, this is not subtle, but I, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So Sorry. I don't, because um, I have not read any commentary on this episode. So I'm, I'm speculating wildly here. But given the fact that you have conquistador stylings uh, and there are weird sexual overtones, I'm guessing this is about colonialism on a base level and the both violent and the fact that they're both violent and flirtatious and they intermingle and they cut each other and they, you know, like the fact that it's this weird... Um, questionably consensual non-consensual sometimes consensual relationship between the two parties right um, you know that to me indicates and now when i say that i don't think that's necessarily a defense of a piece of art i'm just saying that i think it was there to see in what the artist was doing with the story and what the writer was doing with the story um that they were trying to kind of do it's almost like um i go to the ballet with my wife from time to time and sometimes i like the story sometimes i don't but what you said about the uncanny valley even though they're very clearly human dancers on the stage you're watching i have the same effect where like if a ballet is just the dancing and that's the point that's fine and i can just watch the ballet with my wife and it's fine if a ballet has a very clear narrative that they're communicating very clearly, albeit without words, right? Um, that makes sense and follows, also great. I can enjoy Swan Lake. I can enjoy The Nutcracker. When a ballet has a messy, sloppy, weird, quasi-sensical narrative, I'm, I'm lost. I'm like this. Like you engaged a part of my brain that you weren't ready to have engaged with this story. And I feel like this did that for you guys, you know, that it was like, oh, we're, I'm no longer just this piece of art. I'm also a piece of narrative. However, I didn't commit fully enough to character arcs and I don't have dialogue and it's not that complex of a story. Ergo, it is a part of your brain that isn't satisfied. By it's almost written. like they created a thing um, without story so that everybody could watch it and make up their own maybe or just um interpret what they want which i guess is cool like the same thing with uh the uh the involtin tombs where you can kind of wonder about exactly what happened but this is your you're literally wondering about what the story is and so What's there's not going on in this universe yeah no seed of i know what this is so i can uh, perceive what the rest of it is there was that there was no anchor there and that's why i was just like kind of lost in in uh yeah yeah i wasn't even sure it was on earth right yeah. right well, and like, I, I was i didn't yeah. even i didn't even get that they were in conquistadors like i had no idea 
Yeah. I thought they were just guys in armor who were hunting this siren. Yeah. I, I took it to mean that I, I don't know that they, and this is maybe, this is a problem or not, depending on how you look at it. I don't know that they are literal conquistadors. I think they are meant to evoke conquistadors, mm. you know, and that this might be an entirely secondary world fantasy, but all secondary world fantasies, no matter how hard they try, are inspired by our world. You know, yeah. Middle Earth is the British Isles. You know, uh, um, Game of Thrones is just the English Civil War with dragons and other minor mi minor magical stuff. You know, like it, like as much as like, oh, well, I'm going to create a whole new world that's not related. No, you're not. Like, even if you try right. not to, you're going to be inspired by the stuff you've lived through. So it's going to resemble something on Earth. Might as well lean into it, but make it interesting. Um, so I will say for, for this one, for me, I was a little more willing to meet it where it was. Um, and I feel like I can't call it one of my least favorite and I can't call it one of my favorite. I feel like it can't be really properly judged on the same axes as every other story in here because it is such a different thing. Uh, and if it's, not, if it's not your cup of tea, completely understand that. And I can understand why this would be off-putting for you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, uh, that was the end of it. And I think it was at least an interesting, if not uh, um, triumphant way to end uh, season three of love, death and robots. Um uh, I don't know, guys. Maybe we'll come back and try season one or two uh, if we can all find time for it. Uh, I've enjoyed chatting with this about chatting about this series with you. I enjoy the fact that there is an anthology series uh, mm -hmm. dedicated to science science fiction, fantasy, and horror. I think that's a good thing for a chance to see short works adapted onto the small screen. I agree. Yeah. Um, uh, and like, uh, any closing thoughts uh, about the the season as a whole for you guys? Uh, I. I can't remember if you said this while we were rolling or not, but it, it made perfect sense when you said it. Well, I think we were talking about um, uh, bolts. Oh, I think we were talking about swarm and mm -hmm. uh, you had mentioned that it works as a short story, but it probably wouldn't have worked like as a novel in there just because it's so dark and, and you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to just dive in, have your little, whatever it is, and then get out and you're not, stuck in it for extremely long periods of time and i thought that was uh, all, uh indicative of all the episodes for the most part like it's very like you said it, it, nice to have tidbits of stories that are varying in structure and presentation and all of that stuff and it's the purpose of the anthology to get a whole bit of everything and i really like that netflix has been able to put this together um, specifically for sci-fi stories because there's not anything else that, I mean, black mirror kind of did it. Um, but I, I like to see these stories get made because then it will lead to bigger things and opportunities for all of the writers and creators in our area of uh, chosen professions, if you want to call it that. Um, it gives people opportunities. It gives their, their stories out there. And, and I really, really like that. They're, I hope they continue to do it. Sounds like Sean writes just the kind of stuff they'd be looking for. For sure. Sean, your final thoughts. Yeah. Like I, I totally agree with that. And my, I, I've, I've wondered this for years and my understanding from 
at least the Hollywood perspective, why they rarely do these anthology series, at least live action, is that audiences like to follow a particular number of, of characters through a and, and actors, frankly, through story arcs. So if you look at uh, the, the what's that series called that um, American Horror Story. Mm. That's why like each season is like a different scenario, but the same actors. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's one way to get around that. And which is good. It's encouraging. The other way to get around that is with uh, animation like this. Right. You don't need the same set of actors. You don't need to pay them as much and you can animate these stories. So I, I think it's great. And the fact that there are three seasons, do you all know if there's going to be a, fourth i did not know if they've been renewed or not but yeah i think it's i think it's highly encouraging that they're they're doing this i think they should do more of it yeah awesome uh well we're closing it has been renewed for a fourth oh there you go on the wikipedia page it says in august of this year it was renewed for a fourth season well here's here's something that might be interesting to the audience if josh knows the answer but in your conversations with neil asher how did he become part of this project did somebody solicit his story or like he actually work? so it's kind of interesting he actually sold those stories like 20 years before all of this started the guy that originally wanted to do this and it was something else before it became this um wanted to do this like 20 years ago and they collected stories and they were trying to put it together and then like many projects it just falls through and and doesn't get made and so you know it bounces around in the the halls of void of hollywood and then finally it gets made um but yeah he the mason's rats and um bad traveling and even the one he had in season two and i can't remember what's that uh, what that one was called but all of those were sold kind of at the same time gotcha all right, fellas. Well, we are closing in on an hour. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, links to all of our work uh, will be in the uh, comments below. Please check us out. Uh, lots of good stuff to read there. And we're not monetized, like I said. So if you want to support us, please consider buying one of our books. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, guys. That's all the time we have for the Lore and Valor podcast. Please consider liking, subscribing, leaving us a comment for the, the algorithms. Tell us our opinions on one of these episodes was bullshit. If you'd like, we yeah. enjoy the debate. Um, or leave us a five-star review on your podcast venue of choice. We're available on most of them. I'll see you next time. And until then, keep up the fire.